0: Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Didn't uh, announce that earlier, so I'll give you a moment to turn there. And I'll just say, um, sort of prompted by Steve's prayer, aren't you so thankful um, that we are not interrupting God? Anytime we go to God in prayer, that it's not an interruption to him, that we have all of his attention all the time. That he's not distracted by what's going on in Russia, uh, what's going on in Memphis. He's not distracted by all the other millions of prayer requests pinging his iPhone. We have all of his attention all the time. I am so thankful to know that that's true. Well, as you, uh, as you know, if you've been with us, this is our second week of this series, um, new sermon series called It Is Good. And so, uh, as I mentioned, we are, I am particularly interested in having us see the relevance of these themes to how we live together as a society. They, th- this certainly has relevance to you and me personally on an individual level. But again, as I said last week... Um, There was the book that Francis Schaeffer wrote back in the 1970s, um, How Should We Then Live? Coming from the text in uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. And that's really the question I I hope that we will bring to this study is, is, how shall we live? How should we live? Everybody, every day is living as if some things are good and some things are bad. Everybody is living... Uh, every day with an awareness of the fact that society at large um, speaks as if some things are good and some things are bad. And so what does God say about it? That's sort of the theme of this series. And again, so we're interested in seeing that day even on a societal level. Looking today at human dignity in particular from Genesis chapter 1, Verses 26 and 27, let's look there together now and I'll ask you if you are able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We give our attention to his voice in these two verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you. Now, as always, for your true and living word. We acknowledge um, God as we... Live from Sunday to Sunday. We are some weeks battered about, like just just like a ping-pong ball back and forth by various obstacles and adversities, Um, sometimes straying about because of our own waywardness. But Lord, we are always in need of hearing. Your truth spoken into our lives, and Lord, we bring with us today our own questions about life, our only needs, uh, our, our our own needs, our um, confusion, our own wishes and desires, Lord, all of that we we carry with us, and so we submit it to you. And pray into all of that, as you know we need to hear, Lord, that you would speak, O Lord, your word, by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, tomorrow marks 90 years to the day. That Adolf Hitler was appointed as Chancellor of Germany January 30th, 1933. In less than six months' time, he consolidated power. Other political parties were disbanded. And on July 14th of that same year, 1933, is that right? On, on, on July 14th, 1933, well, you were born before 1933. On July 4th, 1933, you were already eight years old, weren't you? Anyway, <laughs> but on July 4th, 1933, as Gene was celebrating his birthday... The Nazi party was declared the only legal party in Germany. Total control of the government. And listen, on that same day, on the very day that the Nazi party seized absolute power over Germany, the German government passed the law for the prevention of offspring with hereditary diseases that law allowed for the forced sterilization of those who were regarded as unfit. It included people with conditions such as intellectual disabilities, epilepsy, blindness, deafness, alcoholism. Those they considered unfit and didn't want to have any more of in their society That law gave them the authorization to sterilize those people so that their offspring would not have, they would not have offspring with hereditary diseases. By 1939, they became more ambitious in that regard and began killing disabled children and parents, or and adults rather. In many cases, they were set off Under the guise of receiving treatment, they were put to death there. Their families were told they died of pneumonia and that they had been cremated to avoid the spread of disease. And in the course of that campaign, the first experimental gassings took place. That was when they first experimented with that method in a killing center in which thousands of disabled patients were killed in gas chambers disguised as shower rooms. And of course, some of that is familiar to us in terms of a model or a method because that model was expanded and used in the death camps for the mass industrialized murder of six million Jews. That, uh, the Holocaust, was just commemorated two days ago on January 27th, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Six million Jews, and again, not only Jews, there was this same sort of callous disregard for human life um, that was directed toward others. Six million Jews, that is, listen, if you could wall in and put a ceiling over the entire state of South Carolina today and pump gas into it and kill the whole population of South Carolina, it wouldn't be six million people. Sobering doesn't capture, right? That word is insufficient, to say how we're struck by that, how horrific that, uh, that is. And how does someone justify that sort of treatment of human beings? Well, the reality is people are capable of doing heinous things if they do not believe that all humans have dignity and ought to be treated with the highest care and respect. In fact, people are capable of heinous things even when they say they do believe that. That some of the most stubborn, persistent, wicked sins of man have to do with blatant. Disregard for the value of human life. But if we disregard any. uh, If we sort of dispense with any belief. Any conviction that would um, have us ground a belief in human dignity. uh, It is certain that societies will eventually uh, descend into that sort of depravity. But for those who believe, as Genesis 1 says, that humans are created in the image of God and not, not just profess it, by the way. We're going to maybe try to deal with this. It is not a matter of simply professing that it is true, but actually believing deep inside of ourselves that that's true. For those who believe that, we have ground justification, uh, in fact, the, the imperative, I suppose, that we would treat people with great dignity and respect. Those people, the Bible says, humans are made in the image of God. Well, what does that even mean? Maybe you've asked that question before. What does that, what does that even mean, that we're made in the image and likeness of God? Well, the, the Bible actually doesn't make that clear at all. I don't know if you've ever studied it enough to notice that, but it doesn't, it doesn't ever really say Here's what that means. Um, There are uh, proposals, I suppose, suggestions um, of what may be meant by that, partly because what is revealed in those opening chapters of Genesis about God himself, and so we can infer that there are some of those uh, characteristics or attributes of God that we see um, in humans as well. So some say um, that having the image of God or being the image of God, bearing the image of God means that we have a nature that's intended to represent him. So we're spiritual beings. We are rational beings. We are willful or volitional beings. We make choices and so forth. And so in those ways, we're like him. So some say that's what it means. Others say it's because we're complex relational beings that that he uh, who existed as a triune God eternally in relationship among the three persons of the Trinity and in perfect relationship uh, made us in his image as relational beings and that maintain complex uh, relationships and hence in that way we we reflect the image of God. And then others say it's not uh, really either of those things, but it's we're, we're like God in what we do. So namely that he says... Um, to in, the, in the next verse, that man is to exercise dominion over the earth. And so as rulers um, who rule over things like God, that in that respect we are uh, made in his image, representing God in the world, his presence or whatever, his ambassadors. Now, in some sense, it's it's probably a combination of those things. I mean, there is some, all of those things are true to a certain extent about God's uh, uh, nature or character um, reflected in the person of uh, mankind or of each individual. But most fundamentally, uh, the, the image of God is simply his stamp on human beings. As unique, uh, and and simply as reflective of Him in some way that that doesn't need any more description. It just needs that clear assertion that human beings. It's like He in creating, uh, in creating humans, in the whole order of creation. It's like if He, uh, I hope this isn't too uh, crude to say, but I mean you know it's like licking His thumb and putting His you know His, his fingerprint. It's his... It's a fingerprint and his DNA, if you will, that would mark uh, human beings. There's something of the, 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 the nature and character of God on every human being inherently. And in other words, it doesn't depend on what we do. It doesn't depend on what we're able to do. All human beings possess inherent dignity. All human beings possess inherent dignity. That is just in and of themselves because of who they are as humans, because they're created in the image of God. And human beings are the highest act of God's creation. And let me say something, the first of multiple things, perhaps it'll be controversial in 2023. As the highest act of God's creation, human beings are more special and more valuable than any other creature on the planet. And maybe you have a sense uh, of why I say that is controversial. I mean, there are, there are plenty of people who would debate you vociferously on that fact. And yet it is. It is. is It is maintaining that belief. <laughs> that gives us some hope. Of maintaining. Uh, a, a high regard for humanity. And not losing our grip on that. Human beings possess. An inherent, inherent dignity. Because they're created in the image of God. And they are his highest act of creation. That's sort of the, uh, the, uh, the summary statement of the biblical principles at hand here. But I want to uh, just look quickly at three, impl- or consider quickly three implications of that. Like, so what? All right, so we don't, we don't really have an ex- explicit definition of what it means to be image bearers of God, but we really don't need one. What we need to understand is humans uniquely Uh, reflect something of God himself that he intended um, to be reflected and to be present in his creation. But the implications of that are, number one, sanctity. The implications for human life are, number one, it's sanctity. Human life is sacred and distinct from all other forms of life. you know i would say here before i go on i didn't didn't write this down you may have read about a study that was done not too long ago uh i mean it's been in in the last 10 years or so where people were asked if you uh if you saw your 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 dog had walked out in the street in front of an oncoming bus and you uh, you noticed that, and at the same time, you noticed that a foreign stranger had also walked out in front of the same bus. And you had to save one. Who would you save? Don't answer out loud, please. I think if I if I read correctly like 40% of people said they would save their dog. So thankfully the majority still said the human wins out. And I know the honest truth is all of you dog owners feel a little bit conflicted even when as I asked the question. But I share that because again let's let's not this can be so such familiar territory as evangelical Christians. we've heard this, we believe this, we assert this etc and, uh, and and we can fail to appreciate the significance of this because in our culture um, it is slipping a high belief, a high regard for the dignity of human beings and the The exceptional dignity of human beings. The unique dignity of human beings. It is slipping out of our grasp. And if it does, when it does, the the consequences can be unimaginably tragic. A human life is sacred distinct from any other forms of life. And uh, if we look at Genesis 9, 6, it's one of the places where The the Bible makes this connection for us. But it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So follow just the the sort of rationale of that. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man um, shall his blood be shed. Because God made man in his own image. Killing a human being is... Murder, it is s- sin because humans are made in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. What's interesting is right before this in Genesis chapter 9, he just said, You may kill and eat animals. This is sort of coming off of the uh, coming coming off of the ark after the flood, sort of re-reestablishing life, you know, post-flood and that sort of thing. It's saying you, you may. You may kill and eat animals. You may not kill a human being. If you shed human blood, your blood shall be required of you. Why? Because humans are made in the image of God. Sacred because of that. And so, among other things, that leaves, for those who believe that that is true, and again, not just just, uh, profess that it's true, those who really believe that that is true. There is no room to justify abortion. There is no room to justify infanticide. That is, killing babies after they've been born, not only before. There's no room for euthanasia. If we really lay hold of the conviction of what the scripture is saying. It just doesn't leave any room for justifying the taking of human life. And as outlandish, as outrageous as the the thought of infanticide seems to us, again, there there are people in our day, politicians and others, who can't quite seem to bring themselves to just say that is wrong and immoral and shouldn't be allowed. They want to hem and haw even around that. And it's not, it ought not to be altogether surprising, again, when you lose your grip on any real basis for the belief in human dignity. But on that particular uh subject, uh, infanticide, back in 1979, actually, there was a man named Peter Singer who wrote this, human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time, they are not persons, therefore, the life of a newborn is less of less value than the life of a pig or a dog or a chimpanzee. That's disturbing enough just by itself, but far more disturbing to learn he is an ethics professor at Princeton University, or was, I don't know, maybe he's retired by now, let's hope so. Teaching people who pay good money uh, how to think about ethical issues. But there's no room. There is that just this belief, if it becomes a conviction down in our heart, there's no room for justifying abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, the taking of human life in any respect. And very often, that like again, that's familiar territory among evangelicals. When we talk about the sanctity of human life, when we talk about Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that's where we go. And that's usually as far as we go, but that's not as far as the implications of this go. Because not only does it have the implication of the sanctity of life, but also the unity of life or solidarity, we might say. That is that God uh, created one human race, every human being, regardless of um, color, nationality, um, you know, ethnicity, etc. Right on, uh, everything you could name that distinguishes people. We're all part of one human race and unified in that respect. And so there's no room there for racism, xenophobia, ethnic strife, and so forth. And yet, racism and xenophobia and ethnic strife are some of the absolutely most persistent sins in the heart of man. Have you noticed that? I mean, just, it, it is just, it's seemingly impossible for us to walk away from that. When, when any time man thinks uh, it, it, that we've solved that problem, uh, be careful. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of, uh, there's, a, there's a scripture sort of rattling around in my, my mind. Maybe I'll come up... Um, Within in just a minute, but when you, uh, you know, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall, it's that uh, verse that you may think, think of, and this happens over and over and over again, I mean it is sinister stuff, we see some of the worst, some of the ugliest expressions of human sin uh, poured out in the way of racism and xenophobia. Xenophobia, of course, really just means fear of the foreigner, but you, you see that in places. It's uh, particularly in places where um, you, you have mostly in a country one single nationality that lives there. So if anybody comes in from outside, you know, he's a stranger, and noticeably so, and um, made to know that he's a stranger in some cases and very unwelcome. But there's no room for that. There is no room for that if we understand what it means that we are made in the image of God. And one of the things I think that would be uh, helpful for us to come away with in the course of this whole series is that the work of Jesus Christ ought to be understood in light of what God did in the beginning because he created a good world that fell into disrepair because of sin and Jesus came to pay the penalty for all the sin that caused that uh, to be lost and broken and to redeem it and restore it. So that is, we look in the beginning in the first two chapters of Genesis and we get some sense of what it is that God intends to do in the end. It's not like a copy-paste scenario, but it is the good world that he made in creation is the good world that he's gonna restore in the end. And so we see in the work of Jesus uh, his, the very sacrifice of his own life is an acknowledgement of the sanctity of human life because he died for humans only. He didn't die for your beloved pet. Your beloved pet didn't owe a sin debt either. You see, he, he died for human beings And also, he died in order to restore the unity of human beings. It says in Ephesians 2.14, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When he says he's made us both one, he's speaking of Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. Jews and non-Jews there is what he's speaking of. Anyway, and we read this over and over in the New Testament, right? Not only uh, to the Jews first but also to the to the Greek. He'll use that phrase over and over again that he came not only to restore the Jewish people to God, but people from all of creation, every nation, tribe and tongue. That is part of what Jesus came to do was to restore the unity of man. And then third, the other the, the third implication of that is, Compassion, sanctity, unity, compassion. And that is, if we really believe every single person bears the stamp of God on them, then it, it, it demands that we treat people with sincere care uh, for those in, in, in need of any sort, that we care for people and about people without any sense of superiority. There's no room for mockery of people, which we are quite gifted at doing. There's no room for mistreatment of people. It demands, if we really believe it, if we really understand it, it demands that we are compassionate toward other people. Because we who are commanded to love God are commanded to love people who are made in the image of God. And that's really what James 3, 8 through 10 gets at where he's speaking of the power of the tongue. And he says, no, no human being contained the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth... Come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Now again, look at what what undergirds that statement. Why is it so inexcusable to curse people? It's because people are made in the image of God. And there's just no justification for a sense of superiority, condescension, Toward people or about people and so forth. Now hopefully you realize by now. We're all guilty of something. That I've, that I've said right. And, I, and it's a short list. And I didn't even say much about it. And you, and you recognize again. How, uh, how much these sorts of sins against humanity. They have a grip on us. And yet the more uh, that conviction runs deep inside of us, the more that will change the way we look at other people. I would say too, by the way, this is maybe when you look at uh, what's good in the beginning and all that's revealed in these first couple of chapters of Genesis, besides what God reveals about himself, about who he is, and, uh, and what he's worthy of in terms of our worship. Besides that, perhaps the single most important truth that is stated in uh, Genesis 1 and 2 would be this one right here. The most critical one way or the other for us to believe is that humans are created in the image of God and intrinsically valuable because of that. Let me... Uh, Put feet on this just a little bit again. Coming back to not even primarily the implications this has for you and me personally, but but the implications it has as a society. Because I think people in the West—that is, again, uh, in you know Europe and America and so on—people in the West kind of just live, talk as if this is just a given. That people are just worthy of human dignity and that we're going to treat them that way and so forth. And it it is not given. (laughs) And I mentioned Hitler and the Holocaust um, at the outset. I could have added to that the, the horror of mass starvations and murders that occurred under Soviet communism in the same period of time. That occurred under Chinese Communism in the decades that followed. And the deaths that occurred in the 20th century under Communism dwarfed uh, the deaths under Nazism. Men are not only capable of doing horrible things, but are inclined to do so unless... They are regulated by a belief in the inherent dignity of every human being. Again, independent of age, race, sex, ability, wealth, or whatever category. You know, we in America have, have sort of had this embedded in our system of law and our foundations in the Declaration of Independence, although not stated in exactly that language, but you know the creed, as it were, in the, uh, in the Declaration of Independence that says that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, etc., But in other words, we have said in our Declaration of Independence, uh, we have stated this belief that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And one one, one of the challenges that faces us immediately right now in the present, in our culture, is that we want to go on affirming that all men are created equal while denying that men are created at all. Now think about the, the, the just absolute contradiction there to want to deny that men are created and yet still affirm that all men are created equal. Now the good news for us is that people are quite capable of living with their contradictions for a long time and we all do it. The bad news is We are not capable of living with them forever and they will catch up with us. But it's one of the reasons I mentioned in my newsletter article this week about the the UN's uh, Declaration of Universal Human Rights or Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I can't remember in which order that goes. But that was adopted in 1948 originally after uh, World War II when... The whole West, really the whole world, was just ready for peace, right? I mean, just sick of the atrocities, living right in the, in the immediate aftermath, sort of almost still being able to smell death when the UN was formed and they began laying down those foundations. And... Uh, enumerate human rights that most, all the way down the line, we would, we would agree with most of all of those things. But the question I pose is, uh, why do they believe that? <laughs> because it's not grounded in any biblical truth, any belief about the, the inherent uh, worth of the human being. They just assert that these things are true about human dignity. And if the UN just has the power to assert those things, do they also have the authority to exert, to assert other things? And that other rights are universal, and that everybody else must accept them, and that the whole international community must enforce them. Well, they're actually already doing that, <laughs> I mean the UN uh, in the, in what they've written uh, themselves and a kind of what their ambitions are in the coming decades are already doing that. Maybe that'll come back up in another sermon here a little later. But it is not a given. In other words, they they uh, they asserted that in 1948 in in a, on a continent or a couple of continents in which that was widely accepted that that humans have. Dignity inherently. Stated as if it is a given, it is not a given. And what's interesting in that regard, further, is the uh, kind of in the same season of time, you had the um, uh, adoption of something called the Humanist Manifesto. Maybe some of you are familiar with that, but it is this organization wanting to um, essentially lay down some good humanist principles that would guide us to live as free people together and so forth, and yet to, uh, to, to state overtly that we reject religious belief and the belief in the supernatural. And what's instructive there is, uh, is among the statements in the most recent uh, humanist manifesto, version 3, I think that was the early 2000s, They they make these statements about humans. Humans are an integral part of nature, the result of unguided evolutionary change. And then a couple of paragraphs later, we are committed to treating each person as having inherent worth and dignity. Now, listen to the language. We are committed to treating people as having. Uh, inherent worth and dignity they cannot say that people do have inherent worth and dignity we're tre- in other words you could, you could paraphrase that to say we're committed to treating them as if they do although we know we can't say that they do because we believe more uh, firmly what we said before the humanist association would say uh, presumably that, the, that humans are a result of unguided evolutionary change That is to say, ideas have consequences. And I hope hope you're following uh, the the chain of thought here um, because our beliefs always catch up with us. And as a society, more and more people are uh, becoming aggressive about assertions about what's good that God says is not good and even about the nature, the, the fundamental nature of humans uh, that is in disagreement with God. Let me, let me maybe offer just a couple other thoughts in that regard or some sort of citations and how that is expressed in the culture. If you're familiar with PETA People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They said animals are not ours to experiment on, eat, wear, use for entertainment or abuse in any other way. This means that animals are individuals, their own people. And they have a right to live free from human exploitation. Again, there's plenty, I think we ought to as Christians, plenty we ought to agree with about the ethical treatment of animals. There's biblical uh, truth that is stated that would would urge us to do the same. We would not say, however, that animals are their own people. And uh, the president of PETA, or at least I don't know if she's currently president, former president perhaps, said animals Humans, all really the same thing. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. And then one of the questions that comes to my mind is, if, if that's true, and again, this, is, this follows from a belief about there's nothing unique about the creation of humans because they weren't created. You see, it, it is the logical consequence of that starting point. But I wonder, why only animals, for that matter? Why only the people for the ethical treatment of animals? Why not people for the ethical treatment of mold? Or barnacles? Or or anything else that's living, right? Like, why stop at animals? In other words, that doesn't really even make any sense. But those ideas do have consequences, and uh, I I think you're aware of the fact that that this belief that animals and humans are essentially equal to each other, that is a a growing belief in our culture. I don't know how well tuned into that you are, but I'm just saying there is... There is danger Will Robinson that lies at the end of that thought process. If you start with that belief, it will lead to disastrous places. And we could drive right down the road to Carolina Beach or we could drive to Wrightsville Beach and be reminded that there is more protection for unborn sea turtles Than there is for unborn babies. Human babies. Greater protection for unborn sea turtles. Than there is for humans. Unborn humans. And not only that. Not only the lack of protection for unborn human babies. But the insistence. That someone have the right to end that life, if that's their choice. Ideas have consequences, and the uh, again, f- probably first foundational belief that we need to lay down um, as Christians and as any society that hopes to live freely, frankly, the first belief we have to lay down is that humans have exceptional. Dignity. And that calls us uh, to a belief in the sanctity of human life, the unity of human life, compassion toward human life. And if we would pray that God would, would get that deep down inside of our being, that'll begin to change us in every way that we live, in all the ways that we regard other people. We pray that it'll do just that. Well, I'm going to tie a bow around this and we'll uh, move on and see where that takes us in the weeks to come. Let's bow together. Well, Lord, as we've already said today, you are great and you are good. And God, your goodness is reflected in your creation, and first and foremost in the goodness of humanity created in your image. And Lord, I pray, I do pray for us that that would become something much deeper than just a, a statement of faith or truth that we profess, but that it would really become a deep conviction because we do confess, Lord, we have failed terribly as individuals, as the people of God, as as a country. At every level, Lord, we have failed to actually live up to what we claim to believe about people. So Lord, I pray that you would convict us where that has been true, that you would lead us to confession uh, and repentance where we need to confess and repent, that you would grant us forgiveness and God, that you would change our hearts, that we might see something of your beauty, of your glory, of your goodness in the face of every person That we ever encounter. Lord we are in need. Of your grace to do that. And we pray that you'd grant it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.